you for joining the podcast of North Highland Baptist Church. To find more help or to give to this ministry, please visit nhbcfamily.com. Last Sunday, if you remember, I preached about we. Uh, This Sunday, I want to preach to you about he. Um, And looking at this Daniel chapter number 9 and talking about who he is, there's a portion in this scripture right here about he that we want to look at. It, it, last Sunday when we were talking about, it seemed like Daniel was constantly saying, we, and we, Lord, and we have sinned, and we have dealt treacherously with you, and we have not kept your word. And, and whenever you came to us and you uh, corrected us, we still didn't regard our prayers to you and things like that over and over and over. But in this time of prayer, in every time of prayer, always... Always, if you're truly seeking God, He shows up. He speaks to you. And it may not be like Job looked for God. You know, it may not be like Elijah looked for God. It may be always in a still, small voice. And people say, Brother Steve, do you believe God still speaks today? Absolutely, I believe that He speaks today. I think our problem is, is we just don't listen as well. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter number 9, in verse number 20, I want you to look at the first thing today, and I want you to see this precise love of God. If you're taking notes and you're writing these things down, these things are just for you to remember them. I promise you, as many messages as you hear every Sunday, every Wednesday, even throughout the week as you go and you maybe listen to other preachers and podcasts and things like that. You will not remember all of this stuff. And sometimes you need to write these things down. If you don't write them down, you can also go to the church's app or go to the church's bulletin thing and you can go and open it. The notes are there. The scriptures are there so you can go back because I want you to study this. I don't want you just to hear it this morning and go, oh, that was good. I want you to really study it and to take it in. And you see in the very beginning of this scripture, just about four or five things today. And number one is, is that we can see the precise love of God. When we're talking about precise, we're speaking about the word precision. We mean that God is direct, that God is very clear. Daniel chapter 9 has to be literally one of the most difficult books of the Old Testament, if not one of the most difficult books of all of the Bible. Daniel chapter 9 is not Daniel 3 and Hebrew boys that won't bow down. Daniel 9 is not like Daniel 6 where Daniel is thrown into the lion's den because he prayed three times a day. Daniel chapter 9 deals with a prophecy to Israel. And sometimes when we speak about prophecy, especially in the New Testament church, we tend to grab it and think that all of that is given strictly to us or directly to us. And so God is so precise in this that he doesn't want Daniel to miss out. You ever had a teacher in your life before that they would constantly in one One lesson, it may even be more, but especially in one, they were constantly trying to grab your attention. They were trying to get you to focus. They were trying to get you to lean in or to press in and trying to kind of hold on to this stuff. That's what God's doing with Daniel today. Look at verse number 20. The Bible says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of God, Yes, or yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, talking about the angel of God, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, he came in fast, 
touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications or your prayers, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou, look at these words, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. When you look at this, we're, we're blessed, first of all, to know this in our prayer time, that God can hear us. We should actually, when we go in prayer, we should be very thankful right off the bat. If you want to know how to start your prayer, look at Luke chapter 11. And the Bible speaks about that the disciples said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray like John also taught his disciples? And then we know that Jesus went into the, what we call the Lord's Prayer today, and he went into the prayer. It was, it was basically just a template prayer. It isn't a prayer that you say, okay, because that's what makes things happen or that's what makes God move and stuff like that. Or, or you, don't, you especially don't say it over the ball game just so you can win. Okay, because most of the time that's when we pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you look at that model prayer, Jesus starts out by speaking about how great the Father is and how wonderful his name is. He starts out with a prayer, or in his prayer, with gratitude and thanksgiving and giving honor to God the Father. Daniel did that. Last Sunday, we went through this whole prayer, and we talked about over and over that Daniel was praying on behalf of all of the people. Daniel said we over seven or nine times in that prayer. He said he included himself among the sinners, and we left here last Sunday knowing that when we pray, we should pray in the same manner. And some people said, well, why should we pray as though we're involved or we're included with all of the sins and the sinners of the world? Because the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, that we might obtain righteousness. Amen. So the Bible says that Jesus was willing to live, leave all of his glory and to come here to be fashioned like mankind and to become sin for all of us. He put himself in our place. And if you really want to pray for lost people, you need to put your heart in their place. You need to put your prayers in their shoes. And Daniel was seeking God. You remember he was broken about it and he was praying. And the Bible says, look here at verse number 20 again. It says, and while I was speaking, Daniel wasn't even finished with his prayer. He had not concluded it. He had not stopped his prayer. The Bible actually says, while I was speaking and while I was praying, while I was confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, while I was doing all these things, God came and spoke to me. There are times in your prayer life that you know when you're speaking to him and you're laying all things out that he speaks to your heart. And I promise you, most every single time, it happened just like it happened last Sunday in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. When Daniel sought God and he prayed to God, where did he find wisdom and instruction? He said he found it in the book of Jeremiah. He found it in the Bible, in one of the books of the Bible. And so many times people think that just studying your Bible is one thing and praying is another thing. Many people think that they've got praying down, and I've got that in my pocket over here, and I do that all the time. But I'm not talking about, you know, getting on the interstate, Lord God, help me get to work or help me get home, or now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayers at bedtime and stuff. But our reading of the Bible should go hand in hand with our prayer time. It should be like peanut butter and jelly. There's no one, literally, literally that I've ever met, ever, ever, that were like okay in the mind that didn't like peanut butter and jelly. 
you may like strawberry jelly and some may like grape jelly, right? Now, I'm not asking about peanut butter and banana because I know there's some people in here when I said that their stomach went, oh, not that. But peanut butter and jelly, how could you not like that, right? And some people don't like peanut butter and, and maybe I shouldn't have my whole life. And I wouldn't be as big as I am now. But God comes to Daniel when he's praying. And so many times we want God to move and we want God to do things with us. But how much time are you speaking to him? How much time are you spending giving him honor and thanks and giving gratitude unto him and telling him how much he means to you? When's the last time that you literally, listen to me, wrote God a love letter? When did you write out a certain prayer that you told him how much? And not a prayer of, oh God, I need this today. Oh God, help me out of this today. Oh God, take care of this. Oh God, deliver me from this. When's the last time that you just talked to him without having any need at all? And you just said, Lord, like an old Dottie Rambo song, you just said, Lord, I just come to thank you. I just come to say I love you and I appreciate you. Listen, Daniel was presenting himself before God, praying, confessing his sin and the sins of the people of Israel. But look at verse 21. Daniel was always observing the law and the mercy of God. We find him praying at about the same time that the Bible says in this text, at the evening oblation, at the evening sacrifice. We know that the temple was destroyed. The temple was not there. There was no evening, morning, or noon sacrifices that were going on at all because when Nebuchadnezzar came in in that third round, he also had the, de- the temple destroyed, and he took all the golden vessels and all of the things. What did he do? He stuck them in the houses of, <clears throat> excuse me, of his God. So if you stop and think about it for a moment, why is Daniel still concerned with prayer time at the evening oblation? Daniel prayed morning, he prayed noon, and he prayed at night. We know that, we know, or in the evening. We know that the scripture says that in Daniel 6 because he got in trouble for praying three times a day. And Brian, it said morning, at, at noon, and at the evening time. And Daniel, as long as there was no temple, it didn't matter to him because Daniel knew something that many of the Jews had not totally figured out yet. He knew that the temple itself was not God, but it was the dwelling place of God. It was the place where God said he would meet with them. But actually, Daniel knew even more that if we didn't meet God in our hearts, it didn't matter if we were at the temple in the morning or at noontime and at the evening time every day. It's much like, much like today. Many people today say this. Well, the building is not the church. We understand that. I've agree with you, I agree with you 100% that the building itself is not the church. It's the body of Christ that's here. But this is where we have chosen to come and to give our offering of worship and praise and love and thanksgiving to the Lord. There are people all over this world today, right now in our time zone, that are going to the house of God and they're worshiping God at their places where they are working and laboring. That doesn't take away from who God is. And so Daniel, about the time of the evening oblation, he was still praying, and I can hear him praying this, saying, Lord, no matter if there is a temple or not, you are still my God, and I bring my life, like Paul says in Romans chapter 12, a sacrifice unto you, and I lay myself down before you, asking you to forgive me of all of my sins. Also this, number 22, look at verse 22. God sent his angel, and this is what he said. He said, he informed me. 
And when he informed me, he says, and talked with me, and he said, Oh, Daniel, God's angel came down and said, Oh, Daniel, I am come forth, and look at this word right here, to give the skill and understanding. Don't skip over the word give and go straight to skill and understanding. Because if it is not for God, we have no understanding or skill in this word. If it is not for the Holy Spirit that lives in us and teaches us this word, we don't have any understanding of it. All that we may understand is the very surface depth of it all. But when you have the Holy Spirit of God, isn't it awesome when you get to talking about the Word of God with people outside of church and before long they think that you're preaching to one another? I guarantee you there's been services in the past on our Sunday night services that when people passed by, they thought that some of the preachers were out in the parking lot having a fight. Because they would be having, they'd have their Bible and pointing fingers. And we were talking about the Word of God. They were excited about the Bible, but people passed by and called the police on you, you know. Listen, look at verse 23. The Bible says that the angel told Daniel at the very beginning of his prayers that God heard his prayers. That, that should give you absolute hope. He said at the beginning of your prayers, your supplications, the commandment came forth. In other words, what this angel is trying to inform Daniel of, Brian, he's saying at the beginning of your prayer, when you begin to speak and confess your sins and all these things and talk to the Lord, God right then sent the commandment for me to come and tell you. Right then. Sometimes there is a delay. Sometimes there is time that has to take place or, or a delay or a period that has to take place. But it doesn't mean that God's not hearing you and it doesn't mean that God's not listening to you. And so many times we pray to God and go, God, do this for us. God, meet, move, and do all this, heal and touch and do this. And we're waiting on God's timetable. This angel came to Daniel and said, I just want you to know right off the bat that God... God heard you when you said your first word. You ever been to a church service before? When the first note is played on the piano or on the guitar, you can feel God about to move and do things, and you just get so excited. You get so fired up and ready for the Lord to move and stuff. Listen, God says, I want you to know, Daniel, that my love for you is precise. He said, I'm not coming to give you just some kind of tidbit of wisdom I'm coming to give you skill and understanding. And not only that, God has given me this wisdom and understanding, and now I'm coming to give it to you from the hand of God. And then look at the last thing. Look at verse number 23 again. The Bible says, this angel says, God loves you, Daniel. How many of you would just love to hear the words, even in your prayer time, that just the Lord saying, I love you? I, I've spent 25, 7 years uh, 27 years telling the Lord how much I love him. And I know that he loves me because I find in the word of God that he does. For God loved the world that he gave his son. I know that he loves me. And he loves those who he's called his children. He chastises those who he loves also. So I know God loves me because uh, of the chastisement. But, man, it's so different when you hear it. I can't imagine the day, Sister Darling, when we stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and he just simply says, I love you too in an audible voice. But this angel was sent by God. Gabriel was sent down, and he told Daniel, he said, Daniel, he said, I want you to know this, because God wants you to know this. Look at those words. He says, you are greatly beloved. 
God speaks to his faithful children. God speaks to you. You just stay faithful. Even when you think that he is not speaking, you hang on and you hold on. Because why? You are greatly Beloved, you are greatly loved. His love is precise. Daniel is speaking to God, and God turns around and speaks to him. And God says, I've got something to say to you, Daniel, and it's this. He says, I want to deal with you today and teach you the prophecy of God. He says, I want to show you this this thing. Daniel was concerned about future events in the Bible. That's why he was reading the book of Jeremiah. He was concerned because the children of Israel were told by Jeremiah 165 years before it happened that they were going to go into slavery or into exile at the hands of the Babylonians. He, Jeremiah was so precise about what God told him, he even told them the name of the one that would come in to be king and would release them, and his name was Cyrus. He told him the whole story. And it happened exactly like God told Jeremiah. I don't know why we would question that, but it did. But then Daniel finds himself reading the book of Jeremiah. Daniel was about 14 or 15 years old when he was caught out into slavery. And now he's about 85 or 87 years old. He is in his 80s and he's counting the days knowing, okay, that was 68 years, 69. If we're only going to be in this 70 years, we're about to be out of this bondage. And God says... I want to teach you, Daniel, because you're concerned. He said in Deuteronomy chapter number 21 and in Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, he told them over and over that if I deliver you out of Egypt and place you into this land, you are not to worship other gods. You are not to worship the gods of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. You are not to follow after them. He said, I give you vineyards that you didn't even plant. I gave you sealed houses. What he means is this, no longer tents in the wilderness I gave you a house with a ceiling on it and you didn't even build that and the Bible says in Isaiah that when God come to look at his vineyard to find grapes he found wild grapes when he came to look at his people he not only found the people who said they were his but they were worshiping false gods and God says I told you that if you do that then I will bring in another nation to overtake you and to judge you and to chastise you and he did God kept his word And for some reason, we want to blame God for all of this when the problem was it's the sin and the disobedience of us and the people. It's not God. God said, do not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. If you eat, you will die, okay? It isn't God's fault because the tree's in the garden. It's Adam and Eve's fault because they disobeyed God. And we've got to get back to that kind of understanding. And so God says, I want to give you prophecy. I want to give you understanding. So look at verse number 24. The Bible says, he tells him in the beginning, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. This scripture right here and the remaining ones in Daniel chapter 9 are the most difficult scriptures that you'll find in all of the Bible. This set of scriptures is one of the most <clears throat> heated and debated scriptures, even far above Christians today just trying to see what they can get by with in grace. This is a difficult passage to understand, and the reason is is because, number one, we don't put enough effort and time into it to listen to God. And number two is because everything we read in Scripture, we try to Americanize or New Testament churchize the actual prophecy. 
The Bible says that this prophecy is not for the New Testament church. It doesn't say it's for the New Testament believers. It does not say anywhere in that it's for the land of newness or new lands that will be founded. It is not for America. He said 70 weeks are determined. That determined word in the Hebrew is kathah, and it means to be cut out. In other words, God has took his knife, and he's literally cut out a section of time, seven Seventy weeks are cut out for who? Thy people, thy holy city. When Daniel prayed in Daniel 9, 1 through 19, he was not praying about like Solomon did if a stranger comes in and repents of their sins, then hear their prayer, O Lord. Daniel was strictly and precisely praying in Daniel 9, verses 1 through 19, for Israel, they were in bondage, America was not in slavery at that time. America was nothing at all. He was, America was not even a gleam in a dad's eye, you know, as what they say in the South. There was nowhere to be found. Daniel was saying, we, Israel, have sinned. We, the people of God, have done wrong. We have done this. We have done that. And the Bible says, God says, I'm going to give you understanding, Daniel. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked way. What did he say? Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. We know that scripture talks about that. That talks about the nation of Israel. God said in Deuteronomy, if you do wrong, I will chastise you. God says in Chronicles, but if you repent, I will forgive you. That's easy. That's easy. We understand that today in the New Testament in the days of the church. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an offense attorney with the Father that will stand in our place and say, No, I died on the cross of Calvary for the forgiveness of Craig's sin. And so he is clean, not because of himself, but because of Jesus who died for him. Amen? And so the Bible says, Daniel, I want to give you the understanding. If they would have repented, I would have come in and forgiven them. But because they did not, I'm going to lay out the rest of this prophecy for you. He says 70 weeks. Now, please listen to me. Lean in. Pay attention. Don't think about Cracker Barrel for five minutes. Don't think about anything else for five minutes. Just give me five minutes and let me help you understand this. We look at this. Some of you may have a translation that may say something different than the word weeks. And I want you to understand from the original language, the Hebrew word for weeks, it is... In in the Hebrew, it doesn't say 70 weeks. It actually says weeks, 70. And what it means is, is the Hebrew word Shavuah. Isn't that good? Yes. I could have done it with a little hacking, but I didn't. It's Shavuah. And it means this in our English language, heptad. Some people go, well, what is that? It's like the term dozen that we use. Some of you, when you think about dozen, you think, first of all, about a dozen of donuts. I knew that was the first one. Ladies, a dozen of eggs. I was going to say roses. Evidently, you guys didn't give y'all any roses, right? But dozen means that you have a a 12 
set of 12 of something. It could be donuts. It could be, I didn't think about eggs. Y'all are very good. Dozen of eggs. We don't eat dozens where I live. We get 24 where I live. And uh, we kill cows and chickens to death. We're running them to death. But you think about that. Well, heptad is the same. It's just like the Pentagon uh, in, in Washington, D.C. We know it's called the Pentagon because it's a five-sided building. And so a pentad means something in a set of five. Well, the Hebrew word here, shavuah, the English word heptad, it means something in a set of sevens. And God is very, very great when it comes to numbers, well, all of these things. Even when we listen to musical notes that are on a guitar or a piano, they all go together. There, there really are no more notes or chords that Andrew can make on a guitar than I can make on a piano. Because in music theory, it is set out that there are these seven notes that are put in there. You got A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But then it starts all over, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But when you go from one A to the other A, it's called an uh, octave, which means it's the eight. And it goes in that way. And so God has divinely set these things where it's almost like music. If you listen to it, it's amazing because if you have one C or this other C... They kind of go together. But when you have the other notes added with it, you have this certain harmony that it brings in. And that's what the Bible's wanting to do. It's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with all of us in this Scripture. He doesn't want us to be over here like this and it goes... They don't want it to be messed up. And He don't want you to not have wisdom. He wants you to hear it and it flows. So God says to Daniel... There are 70 sets of seven, something in seven that's determined upon Jerusalem and upon the Israelites. And you say, well, what would that mean? People go, would it be weeks? It could be weeks. It could be days. It could be hours. But we look at it and we understand because of all of the prophecy, not just of Daniel, but also of Jeremiah and of Isaiah and Habakkuk, that he's dealing with years. And so God says there's going to be 70 sets of seven years. And you go, why does God do that? Because he deals in Sabbaths. The Bible says that God created the world, right? In how many days? Eh, Six days. (laughs) And he did what on the seventh? He rested, right? That's why I take a nap every Sunday. I'm trying to be godly. Listen, he did and built these things, but he always instituted or established a Sabbath. He even told them that they would till their land and labor in their land, but on the seventh year, they were to let it rest because it was to be a year of Sabbaths. But because they got money-oriented, they disobeyed God and did not do as God said. And Jeremiah said, you're going to pay everything back. And now we're looking and God's saying, they still haven't found forgiveness, so they're going to pay with interest. And then God even said, not only that, but you're going to have 49 years. So he took seven, and then he said, I'm going to multiply that seven times seven. You'll have 49 years. And so Craig comes to me and borrows the millions of dollars that we have. And I say, absolutely, we'll give that. But God instituted something great. He said, after that 49-year period, he said, on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee. You know why they call it the year of Jubilee? Because it's close to the word, yippee! 
Because that's what happened at the year of Jubilee if Craig has not paid back the millions that he owes me and Patty. And by the way, you're due. He hasn't paid it all back. That in the year of Jubilee, God said that I was to release him of his bondage or his debt to me. And that's why Craig likes the year of Jubilee. Right? God did it that way because he was establishing a, a mainframe. The same thing as musical notes. You can't get out of the, the realm of seven notes in that area. There is no key of Z flat, although we may sing in it. There's not, not a key, okay? You can't go into that. And so God says, Daniel, there are going to be 70 sets of seven. So he's saying, take that number, 70 years, in sets of seven, and you'll multiply it and you'll get this. Please, don't get messed up. He says, 490 years are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. That's all he's saying. And, and I try not to go so deep and try to get you so confused, but I wanted to walk through all this stuff because we do that same thing. Even with us today, we have centuries and we have decades where we understand what that means. It's a series of a certain amount of numbers. So God says, understand this prophecy, Daniel. I want you to get this. And as hard as we could try, listen, we should never, nor could we ever, put this New Testament church or America in this prophecy. Because it strictly says the Israelites and Jerusalem. Here's the second thing, or the third thing. Look at the plan of God. Are you having fun? Yeah, we're, we're almost to the year of Jubilee. Y'all get excited. Look at this awesome plan of God. The Bible says in verse number 24, look at the last part of it. He says, the plan of God is to do this. Why, God, are you going to determine 490 years upon your people? Why are you putting the children of Israel in this position for 490 years? Well, God says, I'm glad you asked. Because here it is. To finish, number one, to finish the transgression. To make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Here we can clearly see what God is doing. There is absolutely no reason to argue or to be divided about this text or this portion of this scripture. While we may not clearly understand what a heptad is and why it's 490 years, there should be no arguments over what God is trying to do. Although we have Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, Methodist churches and stuff, if they are preaching Jesus Christ as the Son of God gave his life as a sacrifice, he was put in the grave and three days later he arose from the grave. And if we trust in him and we believe he has given us the power to become the sons and the daughters of God, amen. If we have that same faith, then we shouldn't worry about Baptist and Methodist and Pentecostal and all of these flavors and labels and stuff. And when it comes down to the gospel, there's only one. <clears throat> when it comes down to the plan of God for his people, look again with me real close. Number one, he says, to finish the transgression. Why does it say that? <clears throat> because God is allowing Israel to work out their transgression. God allowed the Amorites. You know why the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in an 11-mile radius? <clears throat> 11 miles? I'm going to tell you all. I'm just going to be honest with you. I could have figured out a way out. 
40 years, 11 miles. Man, we could have walked a little further somewhere, but they were doing what? They were following God's pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God wouldn't lead them out. Why? Number one, because of the unbelief of those that were older than Joshua and Caleb. But number two, the Bible strictly says this. It says that the fullness of the Amorites' transgression is not yet. He was being, this word right here, forbearing. As much as that little girl that said, we pray for you. Got me upset. Nothing gets to my heart more, Miss Martha, than God being forbearing with me. What means about God's forbearance, it means his grace and his mercy. And it means that he's wrestling and moving and forbearing with you. And he is dealing with you. The Bible says to finish the transgression. He says that they were going downward. But God knew as a father would know, as a mother would know, that I can't help right now. I can't come in right now and swoop and bail them out. They've got to get all the way down. They've got to go to the place where they know their need for me. And God has to be forbearing. He has to be long-suffering. Amen. Look at the second thing the Bible says, to make an end of sins. I don't know if y'all looked in the mirror today, but the sins have not ended. You say, what do you mean? Listen, we are every day declining in health because of the sin that's upon this earth and upon humanity. We are constantly getting crow's feet, not because we smile all the time or because we're getting older, but it's because of what sin does to the body. It brings death. Amen? And so the Bible says that he came in. God says, my plan is to allow them to go all the way down to the gutter, but my greater plan is to put an end to sin. It was never in God's thought or design or desire, especially for mankind in the Garden of Eden. It was never that God said, I'm going to put this tree here so that they could sin. God doesn't want sin in our lives. God doesn't desire us to sin. He doesn't desire any to perish, but what all should come to him in repentance. The Bible says he desires to put an end to sins. Look at number three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. What that means is, is he said, because Craig sinned and he is away from me, I now, I want to put an end to sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, by the way, he put an end to sin. The power of sin is over, excuse me, at the cross, the penalty of sin is over with. At the grave and the resurrection, the power of sin is over with, amen. And the Bible says, but I want to, to do this so that I can make reconciliation. I don't know about y'all, but when people do you wrong, what do you always say? Fool me once, shame on you. Right, or whatever it is, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. You say things like, they've made their bed, let them lay in it. When people have done us wrong so many times, we finally build up walls around us and borders around us because we get tired of being hurt. But God... As many times as he's been hurt, God says, I want to make reconciliation. He's, what that means is that he still wants you to be with him. Look at number four real quick. we got to go. He says, I want to bring in everlasting righteousness. <laughs> Daniel prayed. What time was it that he prayed? Come on, you preacher, speak up. What time was it that he prayed? At the evening oblation, about 3 o'clock. At the evening oblation, he prayed, right between 3 and 6 o'clock. 
If you look at this scripture, God says, I want to do what? I want to bring in everlasting righteousness. He said, he's saying right here, Amy, I don't want to bring in a sacrifice of a lamb that has to be done over and over and over and over. That is righteousness, but it is a righteous covering. He says, I want to bring in everlasting righteousness where there will be one sacrifice for sins for all of the people and that it will not only cover their sins but the Bible says in the New Testament it takes away the sins amen John the Baptist had it right before it even happened he said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world look at this fifth thing he says to seal up the vision and the prophecy he said I want to seal up my words and the book and the last thing was this, to anoint the most holy. You know what it's talking about, the most holy? Some people think that in this text that he's talking about anoint the temple. But it cannot be that he's speaking about the temple. And you say, why? Because in the Hebrew, it reads this way, to anoint the most holy one. But even further than that, it doesn't go with the rest of the text that we read. If he's talking about anointing the temple, then why do we need to do what? To put an end to sin and to bring in everlasting righteousness if God continually wants sacrifice to be done at the temple. Because he's not talking about the temple. He's talking about the one that dwells in the temple. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus said that if this temple is destroyed, I will bring it back in three days. Amen. He was talking about his son. And you say, how do you know that? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says God's purpose is not to bring damnation, but to bring deliverance. Amen? Listen, God's purpose is not to give us what we deserve, and you ought to thank God for that, but to give us what we don't deserve through the Holy One, His Son Jesus, who deserves everything. Did y'all hear that? I don't think you did. I'll read it again. God's purpose is not to give us what we deserve, but to give us what we don't deserve through the one who deserves everything. Amen? The Bible says in Isaiah 6 and 3, And one cried unto another. Talking about the angels in heaven. They cried to one another. They praised God and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Revelation 4 verse 8 says, And the four beasts, which each of them had six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest day, not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, is, and is to come. Which means he was in the beginning at creation. And that he is there in the present today and he is coming again. Listen to this last thing, the period of God's judgment. God says, there's going to be this prophecy fulfilled, but I want to tell you it's for a period of time. And I'm going to go through this about as fast as cream potatoes at Cracker Barrel. Look at verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment, look at that word, from the going forth of the commandment. You know what that is? That's a long sentence or a long phrase to say this word. Know that from the start. This is when it starts. If you literally took your watch out and you went click, you could time this. Now, you could try to do that in one of the messages that I preach, but I would never end on the same time every Sunday. Never. It's going to be, it's going to be different all the time. It's never been under 45, I can tell you that. But if you look at this, you can set God's time. 
God starts the clock. He says, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks out of that period. And then three score and two weeks or 62 more weeks, it says the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. The clock begins. The Bible says at the month of Nisan, not Nisan, but Nisan. At the beginning of their month, they would go out and search for the, what they call the Paschal Moon. In the Jewish calendar, they have 360 days out of their year. We have 365 except for leap year, and we have 366, right? We look at their calendar, and we look at our calendar, and we, we understand ours. So what do we do? What do most people, especially American people, do when we understand our stuff and somebody else is, is different? We look at it and go, well, theirs is dumb. Yeah, well, no, we're dumb. Because we don't understand it. And so we've got to put our mind frame real quick. Listen, stay with me. Put our mind frame in the Jewish calendar, the lunar calendar. We've got to know that they have 360 days out of their year. At the end of the year, the way that they make up for the other days is they have a priest, Brother Matt, go out there. And he looks every night for the Paschal moon, the new sliver of the moon. All these things are happening. That's how they set what they call the vernal equinox, the springtime starting. When they go and see that the next morning, they go out there and cut down a, a, a sheave of barley and they wave it unto the Lord. It's a wave offering. I wish we did wave offerings to God. Hey, God, like a farce gump wave. <clears throat> they go out there and do this. And so then that starts their new calendar. And you say, well, how do they adjust for the other days? They have a month called Adar, A-D-A-R. They have a month of Adar. And if it goes even longer than the 28 normal days, they add Adar number two in order to fit the days in. You go, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's kind of like taking a fourth of the day and putting it in there every four years, isn't it? So y'all don't even understand what I'm talking about. You don't even know it's leap year until somebody tells it's 29th of February. And you go, it can't be. We ain't got a 28 day in February. See, the things that we do, we may think that they're silly and crazy, but we have to understand biblically their understanding. And so God says, when they, you hear the commandment from a man, listen, in the book of Nehemiah, Sister Darla, there was a king by the name of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes I gave a commandment to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was broken. I got to go through this fast. Where does the time go? I got to go fast. He says, he says, I'm brokenhearted. He was the king's cupbearer. He's the one that ate the food and drank of the wine before the king did and to make sure everything wasn't poisoned and stuff. And he was constantly with him. And the, and the king looked at him one day and said, why is your countenance? Why, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, why the long face? You know? And he said, because the city, the city of my birth, Jerusalem, is laying in ruins and it's laying in rubbles and it's burning even as we speak. And he allowed him, he, he gave him a letter to get cedars of Lebanon. <clears throat> They'd bring him down the Mediterranean Sea. He allowed him to get whatever he needed, any kind of workers that he needed, all the people. And he allowed Nehemiah to go to rebuild it. Why? Because Artaxerxes in 445 B.C., March the 14th, 445 B.C., Artaxerxes says, you can go and do that. And Nehemiah went in there and they started rebuilding it. And God tells Daniel, at that time when you hear the commandment come forth to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls and the temple, you know that the four 490 years, click, they start. And if you're to look at it, he says that seven weeks will happen in the beginning. And what he says is, is 49 years are going to go by. And it's going to do what? You're going to build the wall. They built the wall in, a, in record pace, but they didn't have the temple built until what? <clears throat> the Bible says that as they built all these things, 49 years went by. And by the time the end of this book in the book of Malachi, all of that time had passed. And the Bible says 49 years ago, Malachi and the book is written, and God says, I'm going 
going to stop speaking, and he doesn't speak for almost 400 years. He says, seven weeks to go by, and then after that, another time span's going to go by. He says, 62 more weeks. So if we understand that, please, give, please just focus with me. If we have seven years, or let's see, seven years, and then we have 62 that have passed, you know, the 62 weeks, that'd be 434 years. That means God says 483 years are going to pass, are going to come to pass. And you need to go home and get you a timeline, go buy you one, uh, world history, and you will find out that when the closing of this chapter, when Artaxerxes said to build the wall and to do these things, you'll find out from March the 14th, 445 B.C., all the way to April the 6th, A.D. 32, you'll find out that it is 173,880 days have passed and Jesus walks into Jerusalem. Not as a baby, he's already been born. No, on this day, April the 6th, when he walks into Jerusalem, actually in the beginning he's not walking, but he's riding on the back of a colt. They're laying palm leaves down and saying, Hosanna, save us, save us. And do you remember these scriptures? The Bible says that it all began to take place. And you look at these time frames and you go, it can't be that way. It absolutely can be that way because God told Daniel, I've come to give you what? Skill. And understanding precise. Look at what Luke chapter 3 verse number 1 says. In Jesus' public ministry, it began in A.D. 29. And it says in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. How many of you ever read the Christmas story and you sit around and you look at it and you go, who cares what year this guy was ruling? Does anybody think that other than me? Who cares about Pontius Pilate? Tell me about Jesus, right? We do that. But God lays the timeline out so that you'll know that he's true. And that he didn't fudge on the numbers or that he didn't just guess at it. But he got it exactly the way he said it was going to happen. And so this man, Tiberius uh, Caesar, he began to reign from A.D. 14 to A.D. 37. So if it was in his 15th year, it was 29 A.D. All of these things were going on. Jesus comes in on the colt of a donkey. Do you remember what he did? The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, this is what happened. When he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least this in thy day. Why? Why did Jesus make it a point, Daniel, to say right there, if you would have known, even you, Israelites, even you priests, that study the word, you scribes that have wrote it. If you would have just known, why did Jesus say that next phrase? At least in this thy day. Because salvation had come down to be with Israel. This helps us, Sister Patricia, understand Luke chapter 10, that it says the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. This helps us to understand why he told the Syrophoenician woman, I am not come to the dogs, but I'm come to the lost house of Israel, to the sheep. It helps us understand Scripture because Jesus appears on the scene that day and he says, today is the day. My Father told you this day was coming. He told you that it would happen, that Messiah the Prince would come in at this time. And you don't even know it. It's hid from your eyes. It's going to be the same way in the rapture. People are going to think, he's left. Why? I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. You did. 
many of them out there may not, but we're trying to get them to know. But there's nobody in here that can say that. You should know. Brandon, come on. Leads us to the last thing, the persona of God. This is the most important. I know you're going to go home and you're going to try to figure out what in the world was he talking about? 434 years passed and 49 years passed, which equals 483. And out of 490, that means there's seven years left, which absolutely goes with what the book of Revelation in First and Second Thessalonians says. There will be seven years of tribulation that's left. God has left a Sabbath day, Ricky, to absolutely finish and chastise his people in the end times. It's not happened yet. In the end times, people say, well, this has already happened. The Antichrist has already come and all of this stuff. I want you to look at these last verses. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. You see, that's a lowercase p for prince. <clears throat> it's talking about not Antiochus Epiphany. It's talking about Titus as the Romans marched into Jerusalem that day and destroyed the temple. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end thereof war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even to the consummation, and that, are deter- excuse me, and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. <clears throat> Verse 27 tells us that there's going to be this great desolation that's poured out through this evil time. But even a greater understanding is written right here in this scripture. And Jesus told them to remember. Many people think that talking about the house of God and the temple of God being desolate. And people go, all right, Brother Steve, why are you trying to convince us that the clock started when Nehemiah went to build the wall when Artaxerxes said go build? But now why are you trying to convince us that when Jesus died that the clock suddenly stopped? And that like God's taking a time out or something. Why are you trying to say that it stopped and then the, the, the other seven are, are future and end times? That, that doesn't make sense to me. But it does if you understand and receive the skill and the wisdom that God gave Daniel. In verse number 26, he tells them... After three score and two weeks. He said, so after they rebuild the wall and the temple and Malachi is ended in the Old Testament. And then about 434 years seem to pass. He says, listen, Messiah is going to come in. And David, that's what he was talking about when he came in that day on that colt of a donkey. He said, Messiah is going to come in. And how they missed him, I'll never understand. The Bible says that this is going to happen to that day. But you remember Jesus did something that day when he came into Jerusalem. You know what it was? Look at what it says in verse 34 of chapter 13 of Luke. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stones them which are sent to thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Jesus is broken. He says... God's coming to you at this time, and you still won't come to him. And I want you to look at these thick words right here that Jesus says in the next verse, verse 35. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. 
You know what Jesus told them? My house should be called a house of prayer. <clears throat> but you've turned it into a den of thieves. He said, my house at that time. At this time, he looked at him and he says, your house. And what he's saying is, is you didn't want me there. You didn't want the presence of God there. Your house is left unto you desolate. And I'll tell you, you'll not see me again until you say, blessed is he that comes. He's talking about at the end times. You say, why do you think that the clock stopped? Or why do you say that that happened there? Look at verse 26, and we'll close. It says, after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah, look at this word. The other word, kathah, was one that meant cut out. He cut out this determined time. This word right here says he must be cut off. It's kathak, and it means, listen to me now, it means he will be sliced. Throat. That's what that word means, cut off. And people go, that's not how he died. He died with his nails and all that stuff. What that word in the Hebrew is trying to show you is that he didn't die of just natural causes in an old age and in his death with all this good stuff and possessions. As soon as they praised his name on that Sunday, by Friday, they cut him off. They slayed him and killed him. Look, as much as I know this text is about the Antichrist and the wickedness and the end of the prophecy and all of this, I can't help but think it's about those six things that he said is supposed to happen in the plan and this one phrase, but not for himself. See, in this text, it says not for himself. Some of you are confused already because you may have a different translation. I just want to share with you that neither one of them are wrong. Some translations translate it like this. <clears throat> but having nothing or having no one. That's exactly the right translation too. You say, Brother Steve, it can't mean the same thing. Yes, because what we're seeing in this text right here, it means that Jesus was cut off, taken from the land of the living. Like a sickle was thrown into the barley weave for the sheaf, he was cut down right there. And the Bible says, but he had nothing. Isaiah said, that he was not a man, he was just calmly. That there was nothing that was drawing about him. The Bible says that when Jesus was killed, that he was cut off, but not for himself. For who then? For you. What this scripture is saying, not for himself. Not having anyone, not having anything, because the word there is just a little bit different. It actually means <clears throat> he didn't do it for anything other than for you and for Israel. All for you. You gotta hear this. You gotta listen this morning. All for you. Not because of anything you did for him, because you've done a good thing for him and he returned the favor. He did it for you when you hated him. He died for sinners while they were still yet in their sins. He loved them and gave himself for them. For 2 Corinthians says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that look, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Though he had everything, 
though for your sakes he became poor. Why did he do that? Because look, that through his poverty, through his nothingness and having nothing of Daniel, we may be rich. Look at the last verse. Hebrews says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He was created in mankind for one purpose, church. Look, for the suffering of death. To fill your shoes. To take your place. After he did that, Brian, it says, he is crowned with glory and honor. That by the grace of God, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He as much as we don't want to overlook the fact that this deals with prophecy, we don't want to underlook the fact that he says, I did it for you. I did it for you. And I did it for you. You may go home today and feel like, <clears throat> nobody really loves me and nobody cares for me. But he did it all for you. And all I can say is, why won't you live for him? Why won't you tell him this morning as Brandon sings, Lord, I, I love you. <laughs>